Welcome to Roguecast, the official podcast of Rogues Gallery. We'll talk comics for the week, as well as whatever news is on our pop cultural radar. I'm Randy. I'm Nick. This is Dave. And now, on with the show. Episode 401 of the Roguecast, recorded January 17th, 2023. Batman, What Bad Dong? All right, we're back for another episode, and I have nothing exciting to say in this intro. It's episode four something. Is oh, that one four oh one? Yeah, us. we're entering the four hundredth episode area of things. This yeah. is where we're like up there. We're like we're like DC Comics were when I was a kid. I bought Batman four hundred as a kid. Yeah, that's uh, now it's on like Batman one million. We're so. saying, we're saying while experimental, we're going to get our Frank Miller era where uh, someone adds ninjas in. No, we're, it's going to get grim dark. Dave's going to get killed by Elektra. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, that'd be cool. But then resurrected by the. Ninja. That would like be against your. I mean, you hate assassins. Yeah, it would, it would be kind sense. of ironic. I mean, yeah, it would be ironic that y'all get some good laughs out of that after, after I'm dead. Dave would be like, Dave's going to go to a bar, and Electra's going to be there, and he's like, I don't really care for assassins much. And he's just going to stab him with her sigh. <laughs> and I'm like, your sigh sucks. It can't even tear through my shirt. <laughs> that's a joke for people uh, from who read comics in 1983. I feel like that's got to be our audience. Uh, yeah, I don't know if people. So I'm going to go and say what this is. I don't know if people know, but like you couldn't show like somebody getting impaled back in those days. Even I think Wolverine, they had to in the early 80s be kind of careful with how they showed his claws. That's right. So you couldn't so, show penetration in comics. That's kind of what it was. <laughs> so when Electra would stab somebody, uh, the way Frank Miller would depict it is their shirt would kind of get popped out with the blade going through. Yeah. It had very clear what had happened. Um, and she, she tended to stab a lot of people. Yeah. She was the, one of the big anti-heroes slash villains of the era. Um, now, I will say this. As, as weird as that was as a visual symbol, it still achieved the effect. Like, if you oh, look yeah. at those issues, they feel very violent. Yeah, they do. Um, uh, so, this is Barry Windsor Smith, Black Blood Territory. <laughs> oh, right. That's right. That was another thing, is that they couldn't show red blood, so sometimes they would just do blood as solid colored black like red blood was forbidden from an old comics code there's a lot of weird old comics code stuff people may not even know about the comics code nowadays but you know uh, in the 50s people freaked out oh, they, they were like uh, you know uh, believe it or not the same way they would go after music or video games today they did with comics and they tried to ban them and EC Comics got wrecked by it and they came up with this code that people had to abide by and had some goofy shit in it the code when did the code end early 2000s I don't even know like is it does anybody still submit to Nobody it? Nobody submits to it anymore. Okay, I think it's I think uh, yeah. It's I dead. think early. I think it was still going at least in the early two thousands. Yeah. But at some point, they just dropped it, which they should have. Yeah, it, was it was always dumb. it was always kind of an embarrassment, and yeah. the fact that they went along with it was kind of like, uh, you know, they, it just showed that they were afraid of like, and, and I guess rightly so that uh, a bunch of like a uh, sort of super crazy conservatives were going to like ruin the whole industry. Um, like they do. Like they do. So, <laughs> Marvel abandoned it in 2001. Okay. Uh, as the Casada joke. You know, that was basically the sense. launch of our store era. Yeah. That's a that's a good time to launch, is with the abandonment of that. It's true. 2010, only uh, DC Comics Archie and Bongo adhered to it. <laughs> wow. And then uh, in 2011, uh, basically decided, nope. And then uh, it died in January 2011. And then, like, uh, a few years later, we saw Batman's dick in an issue. It's true. Not even that, they were kind of like, oh, well, this is many years later. Maybe the, uh, maybe the code uh, should, uh, should have stuck around. The code was the shield against Batman's uh, penis. <laughs> now it's, un- it's been unleashed on us. Batman's penis has been unleashed. You can't put that back in the box. No. Comics <laughs> code, a.k.a. Batman's dick shroud. <laughs> now you can't get through an issue of Batman without him whipping it out. It's constant. It's, I mean, there's a 
whole they they have now they have Batman, they have Detective Comics, they have Batman and Robin, and they have Batman and here's his penis. <laughs> Did you see the other issue where uh, that issue the other week where he's just like, hey Riddler, you seen this? You seen this? <laughs> <laughs> well, they got that whole miniseries, Batman's one bad dong. <laughs> Riddle me this, Batman. Um, <laughs> diddle me this. Oh God! Um, well, that that was there we go. There all we right, there do we, we want to move on to some news or talk about it. movie trailers yeah. or so, something? Let's talk about the comic let's before we about... lose the audience completely here. <laughs> I think this is our audience. Oh, okay. Uh, Thank you, people. Thank you so much. Uh, we we did get some some games in this week. We got. Um, uh, if you're listening with your children, I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, we got some games this week. We got uh, Dangerous Destinations, which is a new uh, hardcover from the guys who do that uh, alchemy book and the uh, taverns and the inns. And you're talking about you're talking about a D and D. These are D and D guides, yeah. and they do like yeah, like uh, not ultimate taverns and ultimate inns, but it's a bunch of like cool and very. These are doing very well for us. Yeah. Uh, expansions where you can like sort of build out your world, and they have like cool ideas for. Yeah, like say you've got an alchemist in your party. This is going to give him the coolest shit to do. But they also have like there's a book of there's a book of inns and taverns. There's a book of um, like NPCs. They've got some NPC books. So it's like it's a lot of DM uh, guides. People Dang- seem to be liking their productions. Dangerous Destinations is their uh, sort of traps and dungeons book, I okay. believe. So you know it's got more of that kind of thing. Um, we got a board game called Floor Plan Winchester Mystery House. Floor plan is a game where you're. This is based on the actual Winchester it house. It is. It is, which I don't know what that is, but I guess the thing. Real Winchester quick, ha- is they is basically the cr- the creator of the house uh, got so kind of paranoid and creepy that in thought, the 1800s, in the 1800s, that they thought their house was haunted. That they would, um, if it was ever finished, completed building, that they like they would like the curse would land on them or whatever. Yes, and they would. So die. it was perpetually being added on to, including ah. weird hallways that went nowhere. And just endlessly upgraded. Okay, well, this floor plan is a, a board game where you're sort of building a house, so that makes sense. Yes. Yep. Um, but it is supposed to be like the Winchester house? Yep. Oh, yep. Okay. It is licensed or whatever. Not licensed, it's public domain. It's kind of creepy and weird. Uh, we got like a two-player it. game called Beer and Bread, where you make beer and bread. Uh, Staples of the ancient world. Is it the ancient mm-hmm. world? It is the ancient world. Nice. Uh, we got Fuse Countdown, which this is a standalone and an expansion for the game that is a dice. It's a real-time dice game. You have these little patterns on the dice. They're like you have to stack them. You're you're cooperatively drawing dice and stacking Aren't them. Aren't all games technically real time? Uh, no, this one has unless a timer. you exist in null time. <laughs> where was... yeah, this is one of those like uh, you, you know. Have... I know it's like it's like the turns are all occurring simultaneously yes. and it's mass chaos, but have, but yeah, fun mass. You chaos. have a timer, and it's like it's essentially like you're trying to defuse these bombs before they go off. So you set the timer, and then you're drafting dice, and you you have things like. Oh, this has to be two odd numbers and this color, and they have to stack as a pyramid. Uh, it's very fun. It's very stressful. I was going to say, um, it sounds too stressful. The, uh, the well, count- you know, I think most of those games are relatively speedy, so that you kind of like have this burst of adrenaline yes. to them, which is kind of neat because most games can be like rather sedate, yep. like almost like too sedate at times. And so this would probably be a good one to shake it up. Uh, and I imagine it's not a long game. No, it's it's five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's super fun. I've played it a bunch of times. Countdown adds a bunch of new cards and, and things, and is basically like I say, it's a standalone as well. Uh, this is a really fun game, especially if you have a game night where you're like, oh well, these people are finishing up. What do we do in the ten minutes while they finish up their game? Oh, we play like three games of this countdown thing. Or if you're like uh, Johnny over there, is a little bit snoozy. Let's play this game that's gonna like put his anxiety spiking through the roof. Exactly. <laughs> um, we got Transformers Beacon of Hope, which is the GM screen and adventure for the Transformers RPG. 
I'd like to call out that it has the great transformer blaster. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, not not well, kind of front and center on it, and 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 he should always get more exposure. Well, in the GI Joe uh, uh, RPG, the their thing they introduced dial tone, so they they're always putting somebody That's blaster. Cool. Blaster is sort of the Transformers dial tone. Yeah, I'm going to say so. Like a a character that people like, but is not like he's not like usually in the might not be listed in the top ten. Right. Uh, we got the Teen Titans Go Scooby Doo miniatures board game, yeah. and also the the base is all tied into the the newest set of Heroclix, which is Batman Team Up. Yep. Which has Batman and Scooby Doo and Teen Titans Go. These look like they're shockingly well made. They're really good, yeah. And and I've noticed these have been doing pretty well for us. And I thought it was like going to be almost like too silly a set, but people, you know, it's not as if HeroClix hasn't done some fun and silly stuff. Before, it's not so. just them though; it's a bunch of other things. It's got other stuff as well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we got uh, Zombicide Gears and Guns, which is the expansion for the uh, Zombicide Western one. Right. Yeah, I believe this is one. the steampunk kind of uh, ah, yeah, spin-off. That makes sense, yeah. Um, all right, let's let's roll right into comics for January 11th. It is a again not a light week, but we're not gonna do trailers. Uh, we're gonna do a new second. We're we're doing a new format. Dave. Oh, is this are we sticking new with format? That? Okay. Well, until we get a big week of comics, yes. Right. Okay. Um, so um, I think the big thing this week is Nightwing number 100. Yeah, you know we've been singing the praises this book since it started. If you've listened to this podcast, you know what we think of Nightwing, and we're gonna tell you again. And 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 and, and you probably heard us describe Tom Taylor Tuesdays. It's one of our favorite writers, and this is kind of his flagship book of what he's writing right yep. now. I feel like his heart is in this. You know, not not that I don't think he gets behind every project, but I follow him on social media, and I feel like he's like most into Nightwing. He yes. he kind of knows it's going to be one of his legacies. Yeah. Uh, what are they calling this? Is it Dawn of DC? Is that what the new? Yeah. Uh, Dawn so, of DC. So this is definitely also a lead into what's going to be coming to to the post Dark Crisis era of DC. It is a big mission statement for for Nightwing. Uh, it has him going up against Heartless, the villain he's been building up to since the very beginning. A massive prison riot and escape, yep. with su- including super-powered prisoners loose. Yep. Um, and, uh, like, in, in many ways, a, a, a sequence that, you know, a, a series of sequences that kind of define who he is, what he stands for, etc. And it ends with something that, I, you know, I'm not going to give away, but... If it is in fact indicative of what Tom Taylor might be writing next, it's an idea I really like. Same, I'm very excited about the. And I think it might be. I agree. Uh, this has, in addition to Bruno Redondo's usually great art, uh, this has uh, people from all of Nightwing's various runs: Scott McDaniel, Eddie Barrows, Rick, Rick Leonardi, Rick yep. Leonardi, the people who have done like n- notable runs on the book. Yeah, uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's uh, what do you call it? It's like a jam issue in that sense. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yes, uh, great a great read, and we would all recommend it. Yep. Also, fantastic covers. There's a bunch of great variant covers for it. Yes. Yep. And at least uh, one to three uh, very heartwarming moments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Batman One Bad Day Bane came out today, and I think none of us have been super into the One Bad Day one-shots they've been doing. It's been a variety of creative teams. This one seemed to have some heat on it. People were looking for it. And Nick gave it a read, and then I read it, and then Dave read it, and it's it's pretty good. It's Josh Williamson. Yep. Who who he had a long run on the Flash and something else. Well, he just did the Dark Crisis. Dark Crisis. He did, and he, did Dark Crisis. And we also we were kind of liking what he did on Rogues. Was it? Yep. Was that that was yep. his uh, his black label DC comic that was about like the aging Flash's Rogues yep. doing yep. one last heist kind of thing. And over at Image, he has uh, Birthright, which we all really liked. Oh yeah, that's right. And uh, he's Justin. doing that Dark Ride. Yeah. So, um, and, and he has a take on, uh, Bane, like, I think we all like Bane, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I did not like him in the 90s because I thought, 
like I had stopped reading DC at that point, um, and I thought he was like just a gimmick he character. Like a gimmick character, yeah. That he was just okay. The guy who broke Batman's back, he just he just they just gave him an event. But like when I actually read those issues and read his backstory and stuff, I was like, oh, they put some work into this. Yeah. And and I came to like Bane as a character. And so I was open to this, and this has an interesting uh, sort of framing story where essentially it's Batman and Bane teaming up yeah, uh, in a kind of unusual sequence to, like, rid the world of Venom. But also the, the that's that's the story, the framing sequence of it right. is the, like, Bane's fate, old age days. Like, he's he's working as a Mexican wrestler, he's, yep. he's living in a mansion of his old glories. He it's is, kind of an, like all of these books, it's slightly out of, it, it is out of it's continuity. It's out of continuity, yeah. And, and that kind of gives them some interesting power to do some things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a good analysis of this guy. And like, I know that like people who might mainly know Bane through like video games and stuff like that think that that dude is just always juiced on Venom. But in the comics, he's been kind of like actually cold turkey from it for a while now. Yeah, I mean, Gail Simone tackled that in like uh, Secret Six, where he basically had given up on uh, Venom. And uh, I mean, he's still a man mountain. Right? Yeah, he's just oh, like he's still a power. He's probably like Captain America, if not Captain America Plus, as far as like his I think, skill and strength. And I all think that. the copious amounts of years that he was on Venom yeah. has basically drastically changed his uh, Didn't he biology. Just spits like it's 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 it like it like if like it landed on a worm, that worm would get all juiced. Oh, um, <laughs> that's his alt weapon. <laughs> that's how Mister Mind was created. <laughs> except he was Mister Body. <laughs> I will break you. <laughs> just a, uh, DC. I'm, I'm just throwing out ideas here, and you you can use any of these. Mister Body and Mister Mind is a team of the the, the, the worm duo. Mind and body. Mind and body. Here, oh my yeah. god. <laughs> This is the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> the issue is Mr. Really... Body the Bane Worm. Bane's uh, Venom Trebacki got him. <laughs> anyway. I think the issue was really good. Just an execution. Just a, across the board, I was impressed. I, I also uh, found Howard Porter's artwork to be pretty solid. Yeah, on I liked it. it on this one. It, yeah, I, it say, like, I feel the... like sometimes his storytelling is a little on the dodgy side. And for people who don't know, Howard Porter kind of made his name doing Grant Morrison's Justice League. That yeah. was his biggest thing. He's done lots of projects since, of course, and his style has changed over the years. But that's what he got started on. Um, and I do th- I think I think like his draftsmanship is you know like the way he draws characters has changed uh, a lot. He actually reminds me a little of J. Scott Campbell in some ways now, where mm-hmm. he does a little bit of slightly caricatured exaggeration. You know, yeah. the, the, that look a little yeah. bit like the way the, that Mad Magazine caricature. His craggy Bane style. is cool though. He does look cool, and he's he's good at drawing a hulking Bane. When you get a Bane story, you want somebody who can draw veins. Yeah, <laughs> like, true. Who could just draw veins on veins? So, can on you draw veins? veins? Yes. Yeah. 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 You're in. Okay, you're in. <laughs> you're in. Um, no. No. Um, but uh, but this is, is is Bane as you know, like kind of antihero, which is kind of how he, I think you know, has been in in, in various ways since the two thousands at least. Yeah. Um, and you know where he's got his streak of honor, and um, and I like that Bane. And uh, they tell an interesting tale. It's uh, yeah. sort of his his final days. And it's things. definitely my favorite of the one bad day so far. Yeah, it's the one I've read. So <laughs> well, I, as well. Well, I know that uh, coming up uh, with Tom Taylor. Tom Taylor does Rachel have Gould. one. Yeah, he's doing that's, one. That's yeah. my interest. He's been promoting uh, some art on that, and it looks beautiful. Um, we got a new Wasp miniseries. This is uh, Al Ewing, who did an Ant Man series recently with all the Ant Men. He's doing the same thing with Wasp. This is uh, Janet Van Dyne and. Um, Nadia Van Dyne, the 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 new wasp who's like runs the girl genius thing. Yeah, uh, they're tying in a very a very old Ant Man villain to it. Uh, talking about the very first, like her first appearance, which is interesting. 
And uh, I'm just going to let fun. people know, by the way, it's not Egghead. You're okay. Not Egghead. You can relax. It's not. <laughs> Although, really, all of Whitman's old villains are kind of like Egghead. Yes, although the one that showed up is at least a, a character who's got like a little more uh, visual flair. Yes, I agree. Anyway, it was a good, it was a good mini suit, a good first issue. I'm looking forward yeah. to see where, where they go with that. I like Nadia's design. Yeah. Uh, well, Nadia's interesting because her, her mom was from like the Red Room. Yeah. So like she she was trained oh. as a spy. So she's got like the she's like a super so you genius. have an intersection of like sort of Black Widow type stuff. Yeah. And 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 Ant Man stuff. Yeah. yeah. Because Ant Man remember like the, his first adventures were in a communist country. His first wife was from a communist country. That's right. And so this is all. You say it like uh, very mysteriously, Randy. Is that communist country Russia? Uh, no, they they left it vague. I believe it's probably uh, like Hungary or Romania or one, one of those. those. Okay, yeah. sure. It's a satellite state, as they call them. Okay. Uh, Behind the Iron Curtain, I believe, as I was referred to. Oh, yes. yes. Man, there was... The Cold War... Um, if if you, anybody looks through comics from the 60s, uh, one of the things that will fascinate you is like a slice of, <laughs> er, of an era yeah. is just that the Cold War permeates everything. everything. Radiation as a concept permeates everything. Yeah. Just as radiation in real life does actually permeate just about Radiation everything. permits everything, yeah. Except lead. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the Metal Man lead? Yes. <laughs> um... And then there's a reprint day that we were going to mention, the Marvel Tales Avengers, was it Beast and Wonder Man 2 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's called Avengers 2, Wonder Man and the Beast. Oh. Uh, uh, because they're like a famous Avengers pairing. They're their buddies. Uh, they are the tango and cash of the Avengers. Uh, big, big, big strong man, Wonder Man, uh, the, the, the hero who's like... Um, uh, with, with, with imposter syndrome, yep. I guess I'd say. Yep. And, and the Beast... Who, uh, of course, people know best from the X Men, but he definitely had a long stint in like the seventies and eighties with the Avengers, yep. and he became buddies with uh, Wonder Man in those days, and they palled around uh, kind of as their own thing. This is a reprint of like a three issue series from what late nineties or during, like during the Busick run of it Avengers. It was two thousand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, I was flipping through it and, and reading it because I'm a, I'm a Wonder Man fan, and I actually I, I did not read this though. It's pretty good. Um, it's written by Roger Stern, who wrote some of the single single best comics of the 80s. He wrote The Mansion Siege. He wrote The Mansion Siege and Avengers. He did, like, about half the best Spider-Man stories ever yep. in the 80s. Yep. Uh, including the famous fight with the Juggernaut and stuff like that. Anyway, um, he... Uh, although this has old-school vibes to it, like, including, like, those pages they used to do in comics where you'd get, like, two pages of flashbacks when he'd be like... As you know, Beast, when I first joined the Avengers, I was working uh, for the Masters of Evil. Yep. And then there's a little doodly loo yep. flashback thing. Yep. Um, but if you were kind of looking to get the history of Wonder Man and Beast and also their their, their buddy stuff, it's actually a pretty good way to do it. And, yeah. and it's like told in an interesting way. Um, uh, there, there's some good stuff in there. Like I think I'm going to pick it up just as a good, like, quick little historical overview of two characters I like. Dave, are there wacky hijinks? Uh it is, but it's not like too wacky. It's okay. definitely not. This is doesn't seem to be quite a party comic. This is more of a uh, two buddies get together and bond a little bit. They hadn't seen each other in a while, and Wonder Man is super down in the dumps in this one. Um, uh, he's it's interesting. He's basically like his depressed buddy, and he's like, "Hey, uh, Wanda was worried about you, and sent me the Beast to check up on you." Huh. And uh, and so I think they have, like, an adventure together, but I didn't get the impression it was too hijinxy. Nice. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading this little slice of the early 2000s, uh, which is a friendship going back to 70s, 80s, maybe early 80s, I yeah. think. Anyway. Uh, then we have the Invincible Iron Man number two, which we all really liked, number one. Yeah. Uh, this brings Ironheart in, which, by the way, she's got an interesting new status quo. 
Yeah, yeah. I did not. I guess that came up in another Iron Man book, but she's got some other powers that I was right. I was kind of oh, surprised there's some, to see. There's some link to uh, is it Shang Chi stuff? Uh, yeah, but well, I guess it is now, but it's an Iron Man. That's an Iron Man villain. That's so. true. That's that's in the comics. But, that's but that was interesting. So uh, him and Ironheart working together was interesting because she's got an interesting relationship with Tony because you know Tony was dead when she first became Ironheart, right? And it was like a, a holographic ghost was her mentor. It was a holographic yeah. AI of yeah. uh, of Tony. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting to see her and Tony be friends now. The and hook, then, well, the hook on this series is that. Iron Man, uh, like, he has just spent, like, almost all his remaining fortune sort of, like, buying up weapons of mass destruction that was based on his tech yeah. and to, to, like, do away with, right? Yep. And so that's a cool philanthropic thing, but it also means that, like, a lot of the heroes these days, losing the billionaire status, good job, Good comics. job, yep. <laughs> um... Uh, and uh, but he's also like like his home got blown up. There were casualties, I think, in it. A few people died, or at least one person died. And and somebody staged a thing where it basically, it, I don't think Randy was he actually drunk. He went to a bar. Oh no! But this looks like it looked like it was kind of a setup. And he yeah. is. Um, uh, but like he is publicly taking a beating. Like everybody, like all the news reports. Are kind of like Tony Stark further crashing the stock, yeah. And the and the guys from Stark Industries are like, like he is he just work here anymore. It has actually been years <laughs> since he worked here. It actually that, that stuff rang super true, yeah, yeah. And I actually even almost felt bad for them because it's it is true. It's it's, true it yeah. is not meant to. He's like really not running the. Stark. But also, he's not doing anything. It's, it's a right. It's, it's a clearly setup. a villainous setup. And uh, what's interesting, there's a neat thing in this one: an old school Iron Man villain who's not like not like one of his. Quite heavy hitters, but is a name that was recurred. Yeah, he's he's a solid B list, solid B lister. Uh, shows up and ha- the 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 altercation with him is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's fun. I um I like how it ended and uh, it, it made me kind of excited to see where it goes in the future. So I'm continuing to like this because it feels to me like it's vibing like that sort of 80s era. Was it David Michelini yeah. and Bob Layton the, era? The best Iron Man run. Yeah, if uh, for for anybody who read 80s era Iron Man. Um, I think that this is gonna. This is the Iron Man you want to check in on. Yep. Uh, Strange number ten is the wrap up of Jed McKay's uh, Clay as Doctor Strange. Yep. Uh, if you've seen the preview, the Marvel previews that came out, you know that Doctor Strange is back to life. Yep. This reveals how that happens. Oh, cool. And uh, and it sets up an interesting new status quo. I'm, I'm looking forward to that Doctor Strange book that he's going to write. I like uh, Angry Clea as the Sorcerer Supreme, yeah. though. <laughs> uh, I, it was a good temporary thing, but I think it was always going to be. I'm glad to glad that the bath have yeah. Doctor Strange back. But do we think that now that as Strange returns to the title, we think that Clea is going to play a more prominent? She's role? She's going to be part of the book. Yes, that makes that's that's a cool idea. I, I like I like the idea of Strange. Actually, I, I think that's a person who worthy of sharing the spotlight. I agree. Uh, they, they reference in the in the backup at the at the end when they're doing the ad for for Strange Number One. Uh, they mention you know Wong and Claire are going to be big parts of it. Who played sure, her in the movie? Uh, it, well, she was in the tail end of Multiverse Madness, the, the, and it was um, played by uh, Charles Theron. Charlie's Theron. Yes. Oh, well, that's not nobody. Jeez, nope. <laughs> yep. then the, it's still like I shouldn't be. You know, once they got Robert Redford, I shouldn't be uh, impressed by anybody they get. Nope. And I know Charlie Theron sometimes does like schlockier projects I mean, too. She but she was on an episode of the Star Trek 
the yeah, what do you call it? Orville. Orville. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but she is also a person who does some A list stuff yeah. too. Oh, yeah. so, so anyway, that's pretty impressive to get to play Doctor Strange's girlfriend. Essentially, not yeah. a character who, unless you do a mini series like this, can be one note. But that was the kind of cool thing is yeah. they've given her some some really legit depth and backstory okay. now. Yep. And so I think she, that'll make for a good pairing in the new book. Uh, which means this is both a Tom Taylor Tuesday and a Jed McKay Tuesday. <laughs> Jed McKay Tuesday. <laughs> uh, but nothing from. Uh, uh, who's our other person that we decided? Uh, Brian, Brian Ryan. North. Brian Ryan. Not a Brian, it's not a Brian Ryan Tuesday. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we had, a, we had a new issue of Punisher, number number nine. I definitely feel like they're ramping up to like to make this a 12-issue run, don't you? This feels like I feel they're building like it, a climax. But I also feel like Jason Aaron is kind of like kicking ass on this book. It's uh, really good. It's really good. And it's going to some interesting places. They And they, Jesus says his art is, fin- is phenomenal. Yeah. They almost went to somewhere I was a little worried uh, that they were going to go to, yeah. but they backed off a little bit on this one. Oh, shit. Uh, but it, this is as good as Punisher has been in a while. I agree. I'm really liking it. Uh, all right. There's probably other comics. That's that's like the stuff we had time to get to today. Um, we are going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about news for the week. So we're uh, we're talking. We've got some trailers to hit this week. Yep. Uh, let's let's start off with uh, the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur trailer. This is the animated movie animated show. It's going to be at Disney Plus. Yep. But it's clearly a it's going to premiere on like the Disney Afternoon or whatever. This is this is not part of the MCU Disney Plus stuff. This is a right. Disney Kids thing that's also going to be on Disney Plus. Which is I think fine. Yeah. No. They, I mean they they should. But it does feel. I think all three of us felt a little bit, a little bit kiddy. Maybe not aimed at our particular demographic. Right. No, I'm, Nick, you, you, or, or maybe it was Randy likened it to like Dexter's Lab, yeah, kind of like early it. like '90s era Cartoon Network, and it does sort of vibe that way, you know. And like Dexter's Lab is actually like known good show, like yeah, that well, Powerpuff Girls and all that stuff. Andy Tartakovsky. Yeah, if, if he was um, doing this. And, and, you know, that, that is actually a lot to live up to. But, you know, that is sort of the vibe it's got. And, um, I think it, it looked maybe a little kiddie for me, but, uh, but I think it has, you know, th- th- it has potential to be good within that realm. It's just, I feel like the, I'm probably not going to watch the it. The animation style is definitely akin to what they're doing in, like, the comics for the most part. That's true. It, uh, does, it does look like the comics. And I, it's I kind lo- of big, larger than life stuff. It does have something of that look of Tartakovsky's yeah, animation. I love the look of Devil Dinosaur. He looks great. It looks like, I, I don't know if, like, the chick who's her best friend, is she from the comics? I believe I she know. is, actually. Okay. Um, but yeah, she's gonna be uh, sneaking off and having uh, adventures with her dinosaur and Super Science Adventures. And I yep. we saw super villains in it and Mom doing that. Uh, you know, don't you dare try and sneak out of the house. But then she's like, without some pie, <laughs> which she then feeds to her dinosaur. Um, uh, but yeah, it looked cute. I too would like to have a movie night with Double Dinosaur. I agree. I <laughs> agree. It, it looks cute and fun. I, yeah. I don't know that I'm going to watch it, but it looks cute and fun. I don't think it like uh, hits the uh, mark for like everyone who's enjoying the MCU. This right. is definitely going right. to be a little more kind of kids. But their, uh, their six to eight year old yes. child should uh, get into yes, the MCU. For sure. Exactly. For sure. And that's thing, like, this is not. So what you're saying, this is a gateway drug. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, it I don't mean, know if I would promote it in that specific <laughs> manner. Hey, give drugs to kids. <laughs> That's right. That's a uh, so, dinosaur. Gateway drug of the tw- so, 2020s. Disney says, give drugs to kids. 
<laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's not even like the the like the Spider-Man cartoons and the Avengers cartoons that I was like, oh, these are really good. Yeah, this is definitely aimed younger. Yeah, it looks fun. It looks, yeah. it looks well done. Exactly. Um, and maybe it'll break this character out a little bit in the yeah. same way that Miss Marvel has been. Um, there is a new show coming on Netflix called Junji Ito Maniac. Yep. We uh, if you if you have heard us at all over the last oh twenty years of podcasting right. or whatever we've been doing, we have often mentioned Junji Ito as the manga uh, master of horror, the Japanese comics master of horror. Yep. We have a whole end cap um, dedicated to the man. We do. Like ten fifteen years ago, we had like two or three volumes from him that we always pushed, and we had to hand sell every hand, single one of them. Hand sell it every single time. Although a lot of times people were open to it because yes. you can flip through it, and his artwork is so creepy yeah. that if you like creepy stuff, you're going to be like, I want to try this out. Yep. Um, but now. It's like finally the deluge happened and people realized he's cool. Yep. And there's like ten, at least ten at or least. twelve projects out. This, some of which are out, multiple volumes. This puts out like two a year now. Everybody yeah. found out what Hideo Kojima knew years ago. They they tend to be <laughs> they tend to be short story collections, right? Uh, um, sometimes they'll be thematic. Sometimes they'll be one big story, but. But yeah, in does. a weird way, if you want to think of that as like that anthology format, almost like a Tales from the Crypt or something like that, or Stephen King, but, but wrapped up in like. Like, really unnerving and weird Japanese stuff that's not like... I don't think it's from folklore. I think it's from his weird fevered imagination. I agree. Um, and, and so this... What what I think we know of this show, or maybe we don't know anything of it, but it looks like it's going to adapt a lot of different stuff. Yeah, and Everything be, from short stories to maybe some of his more uh, recurring uh, characters. It like, is an anthology approach, it looks like. Uh, yeah, it does have a few notable... Like, like Tomi is one of his notable ones. Right. We weren't sure. We thought we might have spotted Gyo, which was a three-volume series about these really creepy sort of biomechanical fish-like monsters coming up from the sea that looked like H.R. Giger type of yeah. stuff. Uh, very disturbing and weird. Um, uh, I don't think necessarily any of us were really into the way this trailer was formatted. So the trailer is terrible. The trailer uses <laughs> like these, this upbeat, poppy anime music, which feels like it's like... Anime music number one, like like, and it's all jump right. cuts, and it's got like the the sort of anime method of hyper hyper speaking. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's just there must be they must do a new e- a scene edit about every half second. Well, yeah, it, uh, it's no, it's longer in the beginning. It definitely becomes more oh, right, manic as it goes, right? Because their it, idea was to to build and build on like the surreal imagery. Yeah, like, and it kind of gets weirder and weirder and crazier and crazier and more monster. But uh, it felt like they were trying to get this frenetic pace, and that is not what Junjito's about. Yeah, no. he honestly has kind of like a uh, creepy, languid pace. It's not that slow because he does short stories, and so yeah, he'll yeah. he'll get to the point pretty quick sometimes. Yeah. And he is not. He does gore but stuff sometimes too, but not always. His stories are very methodical. I'm hoping yeah. this is a bad trailer for a good show. Well, what I can say is, like, I thought the animation looked good, even yeah. though it's happening, you know, it was, like, cut, edited too fast. But it looked good. It looked like his characters. Yeah. The color palette was, like, uh, muted and looked, you know, had, a, like, a creepy horror color palette. Brief glimpses of creatures and some of the weirder moments in it looked good. This is so I, I have this feeling it's just a bad trailer. Yeah, this is a show that I probably will not press play on though. Really? Yeah, I, I think I Ito's uh, work works better in manga for me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm almost certain that that's the case for me. Me too, but I'm gonna at least give it a shot. Randy is becoming the press play. Uh, no, I just uh, <laughs> when it comes to TV, Nick, I'm more the press play guy. He uh, he actually secretly liked that backing track, and he's hoping that that music is throughout the whole episode. I, I hope they put it on everything. Wouldn't you uh-huh. can't make it akin to like uh, elevator music? 
I mean, it, it, it's no, it's it's like it's it worse than poppy. that. It's yeah, yeah. It would like if 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 it was just attached to something that was like. Uh, one of those magical princess shows yes, or something like there. that. Yeah. You would say like, yeah, that would fit. Or they're at the Magic Academy or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Yeah, just not a, a show about people turning into spirals. Yeah, they could have had any eerie backing track, and it would yeah. have been better yes. than that one. No music would have been better. No music would have been better as well. Yes. <laughs> um, um, so I believe we are saying check this out, but just maybe don't watch. The maybe trailer. don't watch the trailer. <laughs> um, the trailer for The Mandalorian Season 3 dropped. Now, this has great music. Yes, yeah. of course. Uh, and Mandalorian has, is one of those rare shows that actually has a very hummable theme. Yes. I mean, this is oh, also... really? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I mean, this is also basically Disney's crown jewel at this point. After Andor, it'll be interesting to see, because Andor sort of took Star Wars in a different direction. And this is back to more traditional Clone Wars, Bad Batch territory. I well, wonder. I never thought that Andor was going to particularly like change, like like be a sea change. No, no, but I actually wonder if some people who really loved Andor will be like, will now be done with the Mandalorian. Well, it is. It does feel weird to me, you know. Like I, I, I obviously like went went all in on Andor, and I, I don't doubt that I'm going to like the Mandalorian. I, I, I was very won over by the first season. I like the second season, uh, and I have every, pretty much every confidence at this point that they're going to do a good job. I just don't quite feel in the mood for it after after the sort of what they were doing in Andor. Whereas it's I like, am ready for Mandalorian. It'd be, it'd be like, I suppose, like watching The Wire and then being like, and now let's go watch an action cop movie. I get that. Like, it just feels a little weird. Yeah. Now, if it's well done, I think I'm, and I think it's going to be well done, yeah. I'll probably watch that first episode and be like, ah, Grogu is back and uh, and look at all this cool stuff because there is cool stuff in the trailer. Well, there, the, it seemed they, they seem to have revealed the element of season three is going to be him going to Mandalore to redeem himself for removing his helmet. Uh, that is, a, in some ways, a kind of a hilarious kickoff point. Yeah. I assume it's not literally going to be the whole season doing that. Uh, if it is, that boy, is that taking the culture seriously? I mean, that does seem to be what they're doing, is that they're going to be having... I, cause I it think looks that like is going to be the... Uh, the start of it, the yeah. catalyst, and then there's going to be politics on. Well, Mandalore. I think there's going to be a, a change in how he views Mandalore. Well, they showed him with a bunch of other Mandalorians. He's going to have a new, his own squad. Uh, I, we don't know because we know Mandalore was basically raised yeah. and uh, by Moff Gideon and the Empire. Yeah. Uh, so, like, just recently when this is taking place, yeah. but they is, were. Where does, where does this take place? This is post uh, post Jedi pre first or, first fourth fourth. Yes. Okay. Right. Uh, so we're going to see probably the scattered remnants of uh, Mandalorian sort of coming back together. Yeah. Uh, One of the coolest shots in it, by the way, was they were in what looks like uh, like some kind of dropship uh, drop or something like that, and the, like the the bay doors open up and like uh, all the they they drop do like a halo drop uh, yep. with the uh, Mandalorian. We do see the armor. And it looks super cool. We do see the armor again. We do see uh, the what is his name? You, you said armor. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, the lady yeah. who's like the blacksmith. Yeah, and then the big heavy weapons. The yeah, heavy it's weapons not Paz Vizsla. It's I don't know what his name don't, is. Don't forget the lady who built the ship too. Hers the yeah. crazy lady. She's great. Is she a comedian? Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah she's Amy fine. Sedaris. We also yeah. know we're getting uh, more Bo-Katan. Yep, uh, because. We have more grief. Grief. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, Carl Weathers. Yep. Uh, we get to see more of his ship. I, I love his new ship. I, lo- I love the ship. You see he's that got. Mando has embraced uh, the droid because he's getting an R five droid, which was the perfect choice. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> I wasn't sure why they showed an R five. 
am I correct that it was is that a turret that like Grogu was in a little bubble dome yeah. on his yeah, that, ship, yeah. and I was like, I thought that was maybe where the droid went. That, that is, is where the droid, droid traditionally yeah. goes. Oh, and that's they do show Grogu riding with him up He's front. Is it because front. he gets yeah. the droid? Yes, yeah, it's cute. Uh, we also see that they we're going to Coruscant. Yeah, uh, that's right. And we're getting uh, flashbacks to Order sixty six because right. we have to. Why would there be order? What, what does that we have to do? With him? We have to address how Grogu uh, escaped the, Order sixty six. The uh. the Jedi Temple. Right. Was he there? He yeah, was. He they was showed there. him there. Yeah. Uh, we don't know I if R two got him out. That's why R two was so excited when he saw him, or something else. Yeah. Uh, I can uh, picture like a little baby Grogu, like like. Uh, with like with little R 2s little robot arms holding him or something like that, and R two just like speeding down the hall at like the fastest he's ever gone. So, I, and then I, he bumps into a wall. And I Grogu is like, Ur. I don't want Mandalorian to get away from like the action adventure. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the one off fun. I don't want it to be all arcs. But I definitely feel like uh, we are going to get into some darker territory. I think that's true uh, because. Really? Yeah, I think with the Mandalorians and sort of Civil War and... Going touching uh, on Order 66. Yeah, those are themes that I think a lot of Star Wars stuff, like yeah. Fallen Order, uh, they've always dealt with those themes, but... Well, and if you if you watch Dave Filoni, if you watch The Bad Batch recently, yeah. Dave Filoni likes, has an interest in doing the darker side of what the Clone Wars meant and the post-Clone Wars stuff. Like, he doesn't shy away from that. Bad Batch has been great, by the way. It has. The first three episodes back were really, really good. I'm trying to think... Um, <clears throat> <coughs> there, there have been darker moments in the Mandalorian, but like um, broadly, the show has not ever gotten too dark. It's no. pretty adventurous mm-hmm. uh, as a vibe, and you know, like its its version of dark is is kind of like they do a seven samurai homage and a few villagers get killed, right? Um, but they don't tend to get too dark. So honestly, if they did, third season is a good time to do that and hit some of those beats and maybe. They've had people die. I mean, like they they killed the IG eighty eight nurse turret at the end of season yeah. one. Yeah, that's didn't, true. Uh, didn't space justified die? No, uh, he still. I thought he died. No, it was a post credits. Uh, oh, okay, he all right. Saw that he was being worked on. Oh, we're not right. even. He's, uh, he's going to be cyborgy. Yeah, he's gonna we're be not cyborg. even a hundred percent sure. I, I, I think we think we're, we're pretty sure that what's his name didn't die either. Cad Bane. Cad Bane. No, he's yeah. still around. Oh, Cad Bane. No, for sure. I think yeah. he's, he's going around. Yeah. His little blinky light came yep. back on. Yep. You can't kill that man. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. I'm. It's funny. I don't remember a lot of because of Boba Fett and because they did the the stuff Mandalorian. Yeah. Yep. I have a little like season two is a little fuzzier in my mind. Yeah. Well, like 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 Luke showed up and then he's like training him and yep. then uh, Luke's Luke's being a big meanie and he's like, you got to choose between this very nice present that the Mandalorian left for you or a life of suffering. But that was Boba Fett. Yeah, that was all Boba Fett. But they checked in. Didn't they check in with back with him during no, the Mandalorian? No, because the Mandalorian season two, the finale was Luke taking... Luke Greg, taking I mean, Greg, during yeah. during Book of Boba Fett, didn't Yeah, they? that was that. That's yeah, what I meant. Yeah, they did. they revisited yeah. in yes. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, people... Essentially, people, Book of people, Boba Fett, if you're a Mandalorian follower, you're, you need to go watch like the last two or three episodes of yeah. Book of people Boba Fett. Yeah, if people didn't watch Boba Fett, they're going to be very confused. Yeah. Because Grogu's just back. Grogu's just back, yeah. Um... Alright, so the other, the last trailer we want to talk about is History of the World Part 2. Um, Back in the, what, 70s, 80s? I think it was, it was like, like 1980 or 81 yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mel nope. Brooks did a, a movie called History of the World Part 1 yep. that uh, was, yeah, like a uh, romp through history with lots of his raunchy jokes yep. and, and craziness. And all the stuff you kind of know from Blazing Saddles and things like that. Yep. Uh, but without, like, sort of any of the... Uh, I'm gonna say uh, melancholy of like young Frankenstein. This was just this is just a romp. It was yeah. just goo- it was almost skits. It yeah, was almost, yeah. It was, it was like skits. a bunch of different sketches. Who was in it? Gregory Hines. 
Dr. Oh, yeah. Louise, Madeline yeah. Kahn. Basically Kahn. I mean, his, his entire players, like, yeah. His yeah. players, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and this is... Uh, so. It's and so once you've seen it, you'll always say it's good to be the king. Yeah. And the post-credits <laughs> was a coming soon History of the World Part 2, uh, which featured Hitler on ice and Jews in space. Yes. Um, and so... Don't that, tell uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. That was always thought to be kind of a, a goofy thing. Right, it was it was it was spoofing at the time that there would you know there would be like the Star Wars trilogy was just yeah just then yep. a thing yep. and they were like spoofing these movies like oh my gosh there's a Rocky three how outrageous <laughs> wasn't Orson Welles the narrator of History of the I World I believe he was was he <laughs> yeah I think he was that is crazy uh, so now uh, Mel Brooks is, is very very old and he's introing and he clearly was involved in some way but this seems like he probably is a passing figurehead kind of but you know, but he was this, involved History of the World Part Two is a four part. Uh, Hulu event. It's going to be one, yeah. one. I actually like them. Every night you'll get a new episode. That's kind of what uh, Netflix did with um, Cabinet of Curiosities. Yeah, it's true. And actually, I like that idea. It's like the miniseries return. Ain't nobody get time for that. I like four, it. Four, four TVs, uh, hours in a row, uh, four nights in a row. Yeah. Mm-mm. I mean, you can just wait and binge the whole thing, which is what a lot of people are going to do. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm excited about this. The trailer is it's super fun. fun. Has a stacked cast. Yeah, uh, it's insane. Ike Barinholtz playing uh, Alexander Graham Bell. I assume all these people play multiple parts. That's probably oh, the way that we yeah. usually do it. But I saw Wanda Sykes as Harriet Tubman. Yep, uh, which is hilarious. Somebody, uh, she, you know, the, the the part about Harriet Tubman that I, I guess maybe the recent movie kind of filled in that people yeah. don't know is she wasn't just leading people around. She was like gun toting. You she know, was a like, badass. She, she was, was a badass. She was an action hero. And yeah, and somebody she's like holding some people up and somebody's like Harriet Tubman, the inventor of the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> so it does it, Mel Brooks is uh credited for uh co-writing. Oh, I'm sure he was in the writer's room, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I think Dave and I both had a little wariness of like, is this gonna be all corny and dated? And I think they probably have some other writers in there besides Probably. Mel Plus then you have the cast, like yeah. I guess. We should say, by the way, with the utmost respect for Mel Brooks. Oh yeah, oh, I love Mel Brooks. As as legendary as any comedian is ever gonna get. He's yeah. he's like a ten yep. uh, out of ten on the comedy legend yep. scale. For sure. And will always be that even with some lesser outings. It doesn't matter. He's going to yep. always be a 10. We're looking um, at you, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Hey, I, I wasn't hey, going to say it. about Dracula but, Dead and Loving It? But it's allowed. Uh, uh, I didn't love that one. <laughs> yeah. I, Leslie Nielsen was still funny. The man himself is still great, though. But yes, we were hope we're hoping that he's kind of like uh, built him, built up like a good little writer's room. Of but also, like, wasn't Jim Carrey playing uh, Noah? I think so, that was Jim Carrey as Noah. Or was, or was it, it Bill Hader? Maybe it's Bill Hader. Okay. Uh, anyway, the cast looks fantastic. Nick Kroll is in there looking great. Tecnotiti's um, in there. Oh, that's funny. But they're going to go through it. Like, we saw we saw um, Teddy Roosevelt briefly. Yeah. Um, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud. Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah. Uh, as well as the Alexander Graham Bell bit cracked me up. They are also going back to, like, the Jesus stuff. They <laughs> Like, Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Uh, and a bit of the, uh, the, the uh, church deciding to make Jesus white. And they're making fun of that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, is that the guy from? Uh, oh crap! Sorry, no, keep going. Yes, it's from the. It's the guy from that thing you can't remember. Yes, no, the <laughs> cop show on NBC. Uh, I don't know which. I don't know where okay. you know him from. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, I don't know who this With guy Andy is. Andy Samberg, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, the guy who played Charles, whose name yes. I'm blanking on. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, the 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 cast looks great. The the trailer looks great. It was super fun. I'm I'm excited for it. When is that happening? That is soon. I want to say it's like February. Okay, February or March. So pretty soon. We just we were talking about we maybe going back and watching the original history of the world. Yeah. Uh, wondering if you know if it's going to hold up. I think it will. There's going to obviously be some dated gags and things like that. Yep. 
but I suspect it is still a pretty fun watch, and I'm yep. going to recommend it to you. Um, and uh, just know that you'll see a few things that'll make you cringe a little bit. <laughs> this is true. Um, or maybe it was Seth Rogen's in this too. Yeah, like, he is. Yes. Uh, I was looking to see if they gave you David. There was a date as to when it was coming. Um, well, I can't find it easily. So yes, it's some soon. All right, uh, two little bits of news. We have the um, Christina Ricci is going to be voicing Harley Quinn. They're doing a Harley Quinn and Joker Soundmind podcast, and I think the thing that's interesting about this... It's a fiction podcast. It's a fiction yeah. podcast. It's from the people that at Homeland, which I think is a podcast we all liked. Yeah, yeah we talked about that, so. like, I don't know, six years ago, yeah. seven years ago, whatever And then Prime did a TV show based on it, which unfortunately was not as good. No, yeah. it wasn't. It's but as a podcast, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, who, who was it? There was David Schwimmer and... Oh, Mar- man, Not, not Mary McDonald. It was... Yeah. Um, Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener, yeah. And, yeah. and a few other... Oscar uh, Isaac. Oscar Isaac was amazing. Um... Anyway, a, a really well put together voice cast and a strong script. Yeah. And um, this is a, I think, a rethink of like Harley's origin, where she's, I think, like an ambitious doctor at like Arkham or something. It's it's in there, Randy. I don't know if you have it at the link. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few paragraphs down, they have it if you, if you can pull it up. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I, it's it, the vibe I got was that it's not quite the usual. You know, we we know the basic vibe that Joker kind of plays a, is a guy who she becomes obsessed with. But the vibe I got when I read their description was that they weren't going to do exactly that. So, um, um, I guess there was a Batman Unburied, which is another, which is the previous podcast they did. Okay. Uh, so, Billy Magnuson, uh, who you would know from Made for Love, No Time to Die, uh, is playing Joker. And yes, it is... Um, she is... She is in need, her dad is sick in need of an expensive life life-saving operation she can't afford and so she decides to manipulate um, basically to use her relationship with the Joker to get what she wants interesting so yeah. that gives her it sounds like they like more agency like she is yeah. not oh I got duped by this uh, right. clever inmate right. it's more like I'm going to somehow I, I don't know how she would use that to get money for her dad um, uh, but uh, yeah, I want to see the. I want to see the. I mean, Christina Ricci's voice is, is a good idea. Yep. That seems like a good one. There, but I also, want to see what the writing is like. I have a feeling it could be good. I mean, the Homeland guy was was good. Uh, there's also um, Elias Coteus, who is an actor you know. He's he's in Chicago PD. He's one of those guys you, he was you'd Casey know. Casey Jones in the Ninja Turtles. Okay, there you go. He is playing Harleen's father. Um, Mary Holland. I don't know the actress is voicing Margaret Pie, aka Magpie. Wow, that's a deep, deep dive. Cut. And uh, Andre Arroyo from The Wire is going to be voicing Arnold Wesker. Okay. A.K.A. the ventriloquist. Yep. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then Amy Sedaris is in it as Harleen's Aunt Rose. <laughs> and Stephen Root is voicing her boss. <laughs> That's fine. So there's some fun. And again, Justin Hartley, uh, who played Green Arrow in Smallville, mm-hmm. is voicing Bruce Wayne. Oh, nice. So this is a Spotify original. It'll be on the Spotify uh, playlist and stuff, so... Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching for that. That sounds interesting to me. And the last, but this is in developments. This may never happen, but they are developing a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon show, a series a series adaptation of that. Which I didn't realize Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was this was a very popular Ang Lee movie, won an Oscar. Um, this is the fourth book in the Crane Iron series. So apparently, it's a series that was written in the 30s and 40s. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that. Uh, I did not know that either. Is it was it like the 1930s and 40s? Yep. Uh, was it based on like folklore? Like I was always I was under the impression that like oh, no uh, that 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 was stuff was was essentially was still tied into like folklore going back hundreds of years. 
but maybe not. Maybe it was like there, you know, an equivalent of you know how we had that explosion of pulps in in, yeah. in America, you yeah. know, Doc Savage and Doctor Fu Manchu and things like that that emerged from it. Um, I wonder, yeah, if this is you know that's when those stories emerged in um, okay. uh, China. It was one of the first times I saw Michelle Yao. Yeah, yeah. I, I had seen her before in Jackie Chan stuff. This was kind of even at the time. I think it was like a kind of a more elevated role to be in this kind of like fancy period piece. Uh, like I originally Marshall did movie. not watch many of the Jackie Chan movies. I retroactively went back and watched them, but um, they were only good if you were there the first time. Then. I know. I understand. That's so why I'm... there's nothing on here about it being uh, historical. But apparently the uh, it's a it's well. I don't mean like historical, like it really happened. Just that it was like, like based it derived on, no, from. It, it, there's nothing that seems to mention it, so I, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but okay. it doesn't say anything. And I'm looking at the, like, the Wikipedia thing. I feel like a TV format could be good to tell yeah, like yeah. some sort of longer form stories with the with those kind of characters. Yeah, there. I guess it's a it's sort of a uh, four generations of um, wandering heroes essentially. Yeah, I I I, I am. This could I'm be their Yellowstone. That, I'm into that format. <laughs> Because Yellowstone's all about generational, but much. instead of cowboys, it could be wandering Ronin heroes. I, I I think I like that slightly more than cowboys. But, uh, I think I'd, I'd be into it. So yeah, kind of hope that goes that goes forward. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about some TV and some movies and some other movies. <laughs> All right, so I we're going to start off by talking about a show we've been holding out for Nick to watch, but Nick has not watched it. So Nick just jumped around. This will be a good like a. So we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about it to try and spur you into because because I actually was where you were. I was not super into it. Uh, and, and no, Nick has liked the show, which is, by the way, Star Trek Prodigy, their animated show. I was leading to it. You were taking too long. Fair enough. <laughs> and. Um, uh, but but yeah, like sometimes uh, you were liking it, but you just weren't like feeling the like oh, I got to catch up on this. There were a couple of bumps I had this season, but I got over those bumps relatively quickly. Like the one where they uh, go to the planet where the people had watched, like or not yes. watched, but like the, the, the old school the, TV. They, they that they was were, a super fun episode. They were, they were fan fixing uh, Star Trek. Yeah, and, and I bumped. And uh, then I, I came back fun. to that episode and really enjoyed it. Yeah. But it was one of those where there have been a few speed bumps for me. And then I... Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but I have liked a lot of the season. And I've watched, I want to say, at least three quarters of it. Yeah. I liked it, but I wasn't loving it. But then Dave kept talking it up. And so when I went back, I binged the last... Like, I, I binged at one point and caught up. And then... Every episode kept hooking me more and more as it went on. By the end of it, I, I really, like really liked it. It actually had one of the strongest finales I can think of a Trek show having. I agree. Uh, you know, and Trek isn't super known for finales, but sometimes they have a really good cliffhanger, like the one that introduced, well, not introduced the Borg, but the one where Picard became a Borg. Yeah. Uh, it was super good. Do you, uh, do you guys like this more than you like Lower Decks? Yes. Well, you know, I don't like Lower Decks. I know you do. So, but I was, but that was a gauge. So, that was a But yes, I, I, I like Lower Decks, but this is better. Okay. Uh, and, and I, I think I think that's a minority opinion. By the way, I believe but, everyone everyone I know, whether they like Trek or not, seems to think Lower Decks is the best Star Trek show, and I disagree with that. But do you think for people you, who don't know, Lower Decks is the one that's from one of the creators of uh, Rick and Morty, or not the really bad one, but the, not the, the really ones. bad one. But it, it's the it's the it, it has that energy and that kind of gag a minute style. Yeah, 
Whereas Prodigy is like their action adventure show, which is it's, it's on Nickelodeon and yep. it's spurred on by stuff like you. If you want to think Last Airbender, I don't want to say it's necessarily that good. That's one of like my all time favorites, but it's in that ballpark. And actually, as it went on this 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 year, because I I do hold Nickelodeon stuff to that standard. Like I, like I want you to be as good as Last Airbender on Korra, which I know is a high bar. Right. I felt like they were approaching it by the end of the I season. I think so too. So so let's just quick say what the premise is. These. At, at the very basic premise, you've got some kids who escaped like a mining colony where they were imprisoned, and they're all alien kids. They're all alien kids, and they're they might range between ages like it's kind of like the Runaways at Marvel, yeah. Like b- between ages like ten and sixteen ish, yeah. yeah. Um, and they 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 have like an experimental uh, Federation starship uh, uh, that they that they're in called the Protostar that has this like super cool technology where they can go places real fast. Um, but they've been figuring it out with the help of the hologram version of uh, Janeway, mm-hmm. solving mysteries, figuring out things, deciding they want to join Starfleet. Mm-hmm. They were all kind of like ragamuffins on the loose and like sort of living by their wits, but they've kind of been won over by Starfleet's philosophy. But they're off; they're not in like the Alpha Quadrant where most of uh, you know the the home of Starfleet. What, what quadrant? You know what quadrant they're in? I believe they? they're in the Delta Quadrant, so which that... was where Voyager, Voyager took place. Okay. So it's a little bit more lawless. Yeah, but I'll. It turns out that their cool uh, new uh, Federation starship <coughs> has some downsides. Yes. Right, and this is this kind of reaches its uh, climactic thing near the end of the episode. There's some aliens who um, uh, that um, we don't want to reveal the secret of the aliens. Right. right, they 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 tie in deeply to how the kids were imprisoned originally, and they have to. The, it's there's a character named the Diviner who's Voiced by John Noble, by yeah, the way, who's uh, sort of been the the big bad. But who, uh, in some ways, gets supplanted. Nick, do you know <clears throat> about the person who shows up who, in some ways, supplants the Diviner as a threat? I must not have gotten there. Yeah. You were, like, one episode from it. Oh, okay. Uh, there the is, there's you... a reveal about an existing character. Um, I knew... I got that. Okay. I got to that. So, do you know who the, the voice of that character is? It's, it's Jamila Jamila. Yeah, Jamila, oh, Jamila, Jamila, Jamila yes, yes. The voice yes. cast on this is really good. I want to mention it You will know, by the way, uh, I believe... Uh, both uses her her real accent and a sort of the Americanized uh, yep. uh, accent for uh, the other side of that character. Uh, because David Diggs is in here. Um, Jason Manzoukas is one of the regulars. Jenkin Pog, which is one of the really great characters. He, yeah. he grew on me because I thought me I was going like to hate him at first. Yeah. But the reason why he says his name all the time is probably one of the saddest. Yeah, uh, it was very dark. They did an episode <laughs> this season where they, they showed all the little flashbacks of how the kids got into prison in the first place. Yep. And all of them were sad. They were all sad. <laughs> uh, but the voice cast is is good overall. Like I, there's there's uh, you know D Bradley Baker who is a like that, uh, stalwart just I mean. a stalwart voice caster. A lot of people who I don't know the voices, but they're all like clearly voice actors. And I think that the the leads are really strong in that. Like the characters are really strong because the voice acting is really strong. Well, one of the best bits of voice acting that happened near the end of this season is. Um, there's a character, it's sort of a classic Trek trope, mm-hmm. although this is more of like sci-fi kind of trope, and even yep. a comedy trope. There was a mind switch. Yep. Nick, do you know about this one? Uh, Jane, you, have you seen this yet? I don't know if I did. So there, Janeway, <laughs> and uh, through through a weird circumstance, Janeway, who's real Janeway, yeah. who's been in pursuit of them because she thinks that Chakotay, who disappeared, who right. was originally in charge of this experimental ship... Uh, she's trying to find out what happened to him. He could be dead. She doesn't know. And, and so she's been chasing him down, and her mind gets swapped with uh, Dao, the yeah. oh. the young captain, the young brash captain of the, the 
Proto Star. That was one of my favorite episodes, and I feel like uh, I feel like Kate Mulgrew got to play around in a way she really does not get to play around. In. Well, she got to fun. play as goofy teenager in her and, own body. Yes, and 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 the guy who did Dow got to be commanding Janeway yep. in the with the voice yep. of a teenager, yep. which was pretty amazing work on both of their parts. Yeah. I know they did that thing, they the behind the scenes, where they would have the other person deliver their lines as they would and then they like emulated them. Yeah. Uh, and it's like it's so dead on that it's shocking. Is this as good as the Spock to Pring? I mean, arguably, uh, like, it's not all exactly, but it's good. Yeah, that was uh, the for for Rand, uh, Nick is referring to a, a really funny and great episode of Strange New Worlds. Uh, this you know this is a shorter show, and so oh, yeah. I don't think it quite had that depth. It's like half an hour show as opposed to an hour, but it it is really good. Um, and it also, in a way, that allowed them to catch up on like so. Janeway's like, okay, I know everything that is going on. Now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, without saying too much about how it all plays out. That weapon that is on the protostar, which basically, you know, the kids that do eventually find out, as Nick was alluding to earlier, that their ship also harbors an experimental weapon. Yeah, that was and meant to destroy Starfleet. It's meant to destroy Starfleet, and it kind of like, sort of, it's like a mega virus sort of thing that, like, any interaction with another ship, like, if you even answer a radio hail yeah. uh, or a signal, it, it will transfer, and their ships will go haywire and turn on each other. Well, before the end of the season, that happens. Yeah. And exactly it, how it plays out, I was I was kind of shocked by some of those scenes. Well, you had compared it, it is it is not unlike what happened at Wolf three five nine in the best of both worlds episodes. It is right. like the a big, big board apocalyptic, yeah, uh, and it is very well done. It's very scary and very sort of desperate measures for the characters. Like I thought they did a great job of ramping up the tension on that. Mm-hmm. I, I will say what it doesn't happen, which is what I really thought they would do since there's been some time travel elements of the series. I was like, well. They're going to undo this with time travel, and they'll probably do a good job, but it's going to get undone with time travel. It does not get undone with time travel. No, it doesn't. Uh, so the consequences are real. Uh, there's some, uh, in the final episode, there's some big sacrifices. Yep. Uh, it's they also Nick they kind of do the thing that I love about the Fast and Furious movies, which is to say the ending about halfway through the first, the uh, the last episode it kind of reaches its dramatic resolution mm-hmm. and then the ending is like the five endings you get in a um in a fast and furious thing where it's like you find out all the things that are going to happen next season and like oh this is what happened to this character this is what their this is going to be what the new status quo of their ship is and this is you know and it's all interesting it's all super cool stuff uh i was like okay i have a sense of what season 2 is going to be uh, I, I was mostly surprised by things like I, I a lot of the things I thought was going to happen didn't happen or it happened in a way that I didn't expect. Um, but um, there's some serious heartstring stuff in there, like which is not easy to do in half hour animation format. That's cool. Uh, obviously, best of the best stuff like Last Airbender did it. Yeah. Um, and uh, they these guys are reaching for it. Well, you have to yeah. build up characters, and I feel like what they've done with the characters over time. Made you really like each of them individually. What's uh, what's her name? Rock Talk, the big. Uh, she she's yeah. a person who kind of looks like the thing. Her love of science, but she's a little kid <laughs> who has become like a little science nerd and has like been ex- just giddily excited this season to try and figure out what she what science she wants to get into. What did it, was so, it? Well, at some point someone is like, "What are you a meteorologist?" And she's like, "Maybe I am." <laughs> well, wasn't it the guy on the the. Uh, the, the space station that they uh-huh. end up on, like, showed her, like, all the different kinds of science. Right, he, available. like, pulls up a list on the computer of, like, all the different and subdivisions her eyes of science. Are just like, what? Yeah, she, like, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't believe it. But what I want to say is, like, is on the dramatic front, there's an episode where, 
I forget if she's, like, in the holodeck or what, but, like, she experiences, like, months of isolation uh, separate from her friends where she has to, like, figure out how to do some big engineering feat to get out of what she's doing. And there's no way to do it except to learn, like, engineering. But she's, like, in some... Uh, Randy, do you remember what the deal is? Is she, like, in some kind of null time or something they like all that? Are. They're yeah. all experiencing a different... Time dilation. Time yeah. dilation. Yeah. And so, they're trying to work together as a team to fix the problem. Right. But, but, but she is isolated from them yeah. and has to literally just with for months without the friends she's had the whole time and she's the youngest and she she's has, like the baby of the bunch and she has a pet and she has a little pet but is, is is murph even with her then i don't think so um by the way murph goes through some changes in this season yep. and yeah. I, I was a little sad to see him become less of a pet but what they end up doing with him as uh, essentially he kind of becomes moves into a role as a security officer yes. doing stuff like uh um uh, in, uh, Miss Elastigirl is that is that who it is in uh, the Incredibles? Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, people, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's visually like that, which is how why I say it's separate from Mister Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> Murph's Metamorphosis is the episode I have liked the most this season. Um, uh, which is the one where the lead character does like all the genetic modifications to sort of yeah. try to be and the best that he takes can on be. a he takes on a team of uh, of uh, Romulan special ops, which people. was really cool. It was cool. We by the way we call it the Metamorphosis. <laughs> the metamorphosis. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, um, but uh, but yeah, uh, they they hit some real dramatic highs, and uh, I feel like it is. Um, Star Trek, Star Trek people should check it out, especially, it seems like, I mean, it's especially good, I think, to watch with kids if you have them. Yeah. Um, but it is not one of these things that, like, you're going to be embarrassed to be watching it as an adult. I think it is, it, it has that seriousness. I do think you need to give it a few episodes to kind of, like, get a little bit past what might seem kind of kiddie. It honestly took me most of the first season to grab me. I think the episode, when I got to that one that I was just talking about with Rock Talk, where she was on her own, yeah. and just had to, like, survive on her own yeah. without the friends, that was the one that won me over. But isn't that, like, 12 episodes in? No, that's, like, six episodes oh, in. Oh, okay, okay. Um, they did do, basically, that first season got divided into, like, there was, it's, like, 12 episodes, and yeah. then, like, another 12 episodes, so it's yeah. actually a pretty big it's season. It's a big season, yeah. Um, but, um... Uh, yeah, so so I would say it took me like five or six episodes to be fully on board. Yeah. Uh, but then once I was, I've kind of enjoyed everything since. Even when there's a sort of a down episode, I'm liking the characters, and I don't I, I don't think they had any real down episodes in the last half for me. I thought yeah, the second half was a notable uptick on the first half, and I liked yeah. the first half fine, but the, the second half is where it finally grabbed me. I mean, arguably, except for Star Trek: The Original Series, which had like a lot of legendary, it hit the ground running. Yeah, uh, and has a ton of, of famous episodes in the first season. It has one of the better Star Trek first seasons that there is. Uh, except for Strange New Worlds, which is a perfect first season. Well, <laughs> except for the th- three Gorn episodes. Right, I know you don't like the Gorn. <laughs> and I will always but fight you on I would say, I would say uh, the original series, Strange New Worlds, and Prodigy have the best first seasons. Yeah. Um, I might put... Deep, Deep Space Nine is pretty good, too. Really? I guess I need to yeah. watch Deep Space Nine. I started yeah. watching Deep Space Nine, and I really am liking the first season, but... Uh, it does have that game episode. <laughs> that is one episode. But this it's is, so is, bad, Dave. It's like five is, bad episodes. This is from the days when uh, there were 26-episode seasons. It's like uh, it's like the uh, uh, elevator of terrors that had gave us David S. Pumpkins. Yes, the There's a hundred floors. They're not all the going to be winners. winners. It's like is, the Buffy episode that has the beer, which is so stupid. Oh, yeah. It is, it's, it's on that level. 
I don't know about that. I think it's it's a little campy and fun. Uh huh. I hated it with the intensity of I'm a thousand. Sure, I'm sure thoughts. you've loved a lot of shows that have had really. Oh, I have, and I've definitely every so often the dumb comedy episode gets me. This one happened to be like right in the middle of D Space Nine. By watching, and I'm like, oh, what is this? But I mean, I know like. Deep Space Nine is beloved. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, 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 it is, is, it's a level above, I think. It, um, it's probably got the best, uh, like, overall writing, uh, uh, I think, of, that Trek has ever had, and the best balance of balancing serials format stories, where they were, it was the first time they were sort of doing long format stories, with a lot of standalone episodes. Even in the end, when there's, like, lots of big war stuff in the last two couple seasons, two, three seasons... Uh, there's still plenty of standalone episodes that they sort of find time for that are like sort of reprieves here and there, including a ridiculous episode that I saw recently, Randy, because I'm watching this for the first time. Mm-hmm. Season six, uh, the penultimate season. There's one where they get, sh- I can only say that a shuttle gets shrunk down, mm-hmm. like one of the runabouts, to about the size of a you, matchbox car. You were yep. telling me. And they <laughs> have to get into the ship, like, and die hard, take down te- some, some Dominion guys who've taken over the ship. With their little tiny baby ship. Nice. It is ridiculous, but in a very fun way. Um, <laughs> all right, switching gears a little bit, a lot of bit. Um, this week saw the premiere of Last of Us on HBO. Yes. Uh, which uh, very fun, funny, family oriented, hilarious. Uh, we well, it's got a kid in it. I mean, I will say I, <laughs> real quick. Is it, not... is it that girl from Hereditary? I believe it is. Because I saw just a brief picture and I was like, I think that's the girl from Hereditary. The lead, the the first girl or the no, the second. So the, she's, she's also from Game of Thrones. Yeah, she played. That's where everybody knows. She her played her. Lady oh, Mormon. Yeah. yeah, she played. She played that. She had that badass moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, for those who don't know, this is based on the video game uh, that is a sort of post-apocalyptic. There are zombies, but they're mushroom zombies, mm-hmm. right? Based on that sort of real bit of science, which uh, they they talk about in this first episode, and what little I've seen, yep. uh, where there are these fungal infections that ants can get that really do kind of turn them into little zombies that pass on the fungus to other ants, and it just drives their body, but they're like barely there. Yeah, it's creepy, and it is real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that opening with the basically the two scientists talking about sort of pandemics and kind of the differences between. Uh, what we typically think of as kind of a global pandemic uh, of what we've experienced, yeah, as opposed to what the other uh, scientists being like, that's not the th- that's not the problem. Yeah. The, f- the fungal, exp- uh, you know, that pathogen is like even worse because we have yeah. no. We have there's no, no. There's no cure. Yeah. There's, there's no cure. There's no. There's nothing. This is uh, this is done in the style of if, if you've ever seen those sixties. Uh, kind of talk shows where they'd have like a couple people on, sometimes even some intellectuals, and they'd all be like smoking cigarettes on TV, right. as was the style at the time, in front of a live studio audience, and just kind of chatting with the with the host, sort of moderating. And yeah, it's it's a it's a very. Uh, I just saw the first eh, twenty minutes of the show. Uh, it's a very effective and unnerving opening uh, that sort of roots it in reality because mm-hmm. you know, like it feels historical when you see a show like that. And the I can I can already tell the production values in addition to whatever special effects and all that stuff. That this is going to have that a feeling of reality. It's from the Chernobyl guy, yep. Craig Mason, yep. and that 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 moment grounded it immediately. Yep. Well, I think what's made so it feel like something was real. What's so interesting is that this also has the creator of Last of Us, Neil Druckmann. Yeah, he's, doing, uh, he's as a showrunner, co- basically, co-writer yeah. and uh, showrunning it. Showrunner, yeah, yeah, uh, with Craig Mason, and I think that sort of gives it this air of quality and like. It's going to adhere close enough to the story. Yep. More than but, The Witcher, it seems like this really could be have broken the curse of video game translation. Well, I feel like so it's, far, uh, uh, and by, the, uh, the reviews by, the reviews have been uh, stunning. Like 
It was when it first dropped, like it was at 100 percent Rotten Tomatoes yeah. for the first and hour. And it's or I two. think dropped to like 97. Yeah, so but, it's still really impressive. But yeah, like you're not going to get that on The Witcher. You're going to be people who be like, "Oh, this is fun. It's a very right. fun show. I play the video games. It's cool." Uh, but like nobody kind of. They don't really take it seriously. Well, that's the thing. I don't think any of us played the video game that long. I think, Nick, you and I both ran into the same frustration with it. We're like, fuck this game. Uh, you're not talking about Witcher. You're talking about uh, right, Last, last of Us. I was deeply amused in the fact that I was like, okay, some of this stuff is right out of the video game. I remember this. Uh-huh. This is very memorable. Uh-huh. And it got to the end of the episode. I'm like, so this is where I stopped. I think that's where I got to. <laughs> like, It stops right where I stopped playing the game. So I don't know what's going to happen. Which is really bad because I did get frustrated because I did something stupid in the game, and then I didn't want to go back and Same. play it again. It was too hard. <laughs> I don't play video games to play hard. I play games to have fun. Well, I, I have not it, played this game, by the way. I don't I want to be been, tarred as being a lo- loser who didn't finish it. If I had, if I had been You're Nick a loser of, who didn't even start it. <laughs> if I had been Nick of the Now, which has adhered to the new thing of uh, video games that Dave and I have come to the realization, put it on easy. Just yeah. play, play the damn play game. Easy. Enjoy yeah. the story. Experience the story, get <laughs> yeah. past the tough stuff, put it back on uh, medium that, if you want. And that's the thing with Last of Us. I think it has a good story. Well, you know what the easiest way to experience a video game is? Let someone else write it and tell it. So that's what's going on here. Uh, I don't have to play the game. I can just watch the story. And you're getting some of the best, like, the most competent TV uh, writers and creators. I mean, yep. Craig Mazin, uh, his work on Chernobyl was amazing. Yeah, he's, he's, and he, if you heard him, uh, he was going to run the podcast for Watchmen. Yeah, he's talk with enthusiastic. So hearing the two of them talk about TV, that's two of the really interesting showrunners. Yeah. It gave me a real insight into, into him and, and respect for him. I haven't watched Chernobyl because it just looks way too dark for me. It is, but it has... I cannot say that there's any lightness in it. Yeah. But is it there just, are... by the way, Nick, a dramatization of the events surrounding yes, the actual yes. meltdown at Chernobyl? Yeah. Uh, and there are some harrowing scenes that I adhere... Like, I can compare to, like... Uh, the guy's character in the stand crawling through the the tunnel. The tunnel. Yeah. There are scenes in that that have that sort of claustrophobic element as they're sort of going into the uh, nooks and crannies of the uh, Chernobyl itself to try to stop okay. things. Nice. Uh, it is it is <clears throat> harrowing, and I feel like this one is too. However, it's kind of broken up into like three different time periods. Yes. There's the the opening, which is the '60s, and that's the original thing. It's not, not well, the video not just just a kickoff. It's just a kickoff. And a then, really good kind of explanation of what you're gonna see. And then 2003 Austin, which is kind of what was the the cutscenes in the opening of the original video game. It's almost a shot for shot <laughs> remake yeah. of the. the and it's, it's basically Joel, who is a um, basically Pedro, a contractor, Pedro, Pedro Pascal. Uh, he has a contractor. He works in Austin, Texas. He has a teenage daughter. He clearly the the their their the mom is not around anymore. Yeah, and uh, they have a really close relationship. It's his birthday, and his and brother is September twenty sixth. I noticed because that is also my birthday, yep. giving me a weird connection of both. That is my hometown of Austin, Texas, yes. and my birthday, uh, just in time for the apocalypse. Yep, and. Uh, his, it's not his actual brother, is it? He calls him uncle, but I think he's just like somebody who works with him. Oh, I thought it was his brother. It could be. I get the sense he's more of like a, a brother in arms kind of thing. Oh, because they they made a very pointed showing like a delta like a when desert storm. He called him to bail him out of yeah. jail. He didn't say anything like "Come on, you're my brother" or something. That's true. Yeah, but you're right. They, they did, he did have the, the bumper term. sticker of the. I think, storm. I think they were they were combat vets yeah, together. I, I think, think I think you're and, right, and that's important because Joel is a badass. But we're seeing him and his dad, uh, uh, construction workers. So, like, when we see him again in the apocalypse, that's why we know he has these skills. Well, that, <clears throat> the 2003 yeah. part is uh, 
really good at building up the characters in the sense yeah. that you get to know them very quickly. Mm-hmm. You feel for them. You feel for this young girl. Well, who... they have to they have to set it up because the setup. If you don't know this, you don't know the twist coming. It's a heart, and it wasn't the common because I knew from. I guess don't say what it is because I don't know the twist. Uh, playing the video game, yeah, I knew that he had, yeah, you know, and so I just assumed that. And Dave, I'm not, I'm not going to give away the twist now. Dave, Dave wants me not to give the twist. Um, it's a, it's a gut. I can leave the gut, room if you want to talk about the twist. It's no. a gut punch. For people. Yeah, it is. And so, uh, so when they when they do that, and then they, we jump forward, we see how affected he is by that whole thing. Yeah. And Joel's a completely different character in most of the game because of that setup. Yeah. By the way, the to some extent. This is all stuff we've seen before, like the fall of civilization, the, mm-hmm. the start of the zombie apocalypse, the figuring out things are going on, we've the seen military. It. We've seen all this Walking done. Walking Dead, World War Z. Uh, there's been a, a countless number of but zombies. But it's done stuff. well. It's done very well. And then the post setup, where it's like they're in this military, uh, you know, the military are basically running a fascist dictatorship. What is it called? Fedra? Fedra. And it's like that's. Is that in the games? Yes. Yes. That is what the game is mostly about, okay. actually. Basically, it takes place in Boston. In Boston uh, in 2023. Yeah. In and there's been a sort of uh, military takeover. Uh, yep. There there are zones that where they keep the, the, their infection-free zones, and they are going to extreme lengths to make sure the infections don't get in there. That opening with that kid, uh, I was watching with a friend, and we're seeing them do like, and they're doing the like, okay, we're going to need some medicine, and then you can get whatever toys you want. And I didn't put together what was going on until the next time we see we see those shoes. Yeah. And we're like, wait a minute, is that that kid? Yeah. Was, that it, was dark. It is one of the darkest and most unique ways of uh, introducing a reality. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just like, this is your intro to this world. Yeah, yeah. This is how harsh and stark it is. And then so we meet, we see the Fireflies, which are the resistance group. Yep. And, uh... The leader, the leader of them, who is a voice, she's played by the woman who voice acted the yep, character. Exactly. And uh, the leads are Anna Torv from Fringe, from Fringe and also and, probably more importantly, Mindhunter. Right, I forgot she was in Man on Mindhunter. Yeah, she was the um, big lead. The two of them are great, and then the girl playing uh, Ellie is fantastic. She's, uh, she is a, a, a force of a nature in yeah. this. She, well, Am I correct that she was the girl on Game of Thrones that they went to to. Yes, for yes. She, she stands, to help them. She stands down like, all the milk need, kings. We need an army. Can we yeah. have some people from she here? She stands down all the milk kings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's, the withering gaze. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, but she, I mean, that's just that. Like when you think about like the caliber of the actors that are arrayed mm-hmm. in that room with her, her her youth in that. Because what was she like, twelve, mm-hmm. ten, something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. And like to be able to command the scene, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, she, uh, I she's like a. A child of this new world in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I yeah, mean, she, she doesn't know. It. She doesn't know anything that was before. Right. Like Bane, yeah. she was born. <laughs> she was born into. She, the... uh, she curses a lot. That's one she, of her character traits. She is rambunctious. She, she, she has, has a switchblade. Switch switch she's not, not afraid a, to use. No. Um, uh, and there's another thing that's very special about her. I won't give away, but correct. but that's sort of the the crux of the story. Psychic blasts. Yes. Now I don't. You and I both don't remember Anna Torf's character. And, and I think she's an addition, but I don't know. Is this just a thing where she might be the key to uh, the plague or whatever? Or she has psychic blast. Dave, just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Not give it away. No. Uh, but I feel like she's a really good addition because she gives kind of uh, Joel a, 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 something to bounce off of, I think. Yeah. And Joel is a protector, yeah. but he's also broken. He's very broken. Uh, but I... I I was trying to think. I don't think there's been a Pedro Pascal performance that I have seen that I have not liked. He's always good. He is always good. Even in Wonder Woman 1984. 
He, his Maxwell Lord is the best thing. He about. wasn't. He wasn't the problem. <laughs> no, he was the there best. Are, thing there are a list of problems. He's not one of them. The uh, the meme that I want to have happen is the uh, keying off that is like life is bad, but it could be worse. <laughs> uh, and yeah, as as the show progressed, I was like, okay, I'm more and more into this. My my wife Kayla, she loved it. Yeah. Uh, although. She gets kind of weird nightmares with post-apocalyptic zombie things, so she was like, I already had some nightmares about it. I'm like, <laughs> I get it, especially since it takes place, place in Austin. And it's going to get worse, because those man, those zombies are scary. The playing zombies the that clickers? we see, the clickers and all yeah. that kind of stuff, they're, they're scary. Well, do they show them in the first episode? They show them in the post-trailer. They, oh, they do a well, there's, season well, on. There's one that's attached to a wall. Yes, but uh, well, we don't you, see like the big no. clickers. But... Th- for me personally, this has to kind of do a lot of heavy lifting. I don't like zombie things. Yeah. Uh, I don't like plague things. The stand was one of those rare exceptions. Yeah. Uh, uh, but this is doing everything really, really well. It's an example of how good writing can. I was right. good act, obviously good acting. I yeah. was not excited for this at all. I wasn't. I like. I liked the game fine, but I didn't finish it. And I was like, ah, everybody's excited for this. I guess I'll watch it. But 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 I wound up really really liking this, and now I'd, I'm sort of uh, it'll be on my week to week watch. Well, and I've. I know, like, reviewers were given the first four episodes. Yes, and I have heard numerous people say, yes, this first episode does a lot of the same things we've seen, we've seen in Walking Dead, but, but you'll see more. where it goes, yeah. Uh, and I'm excited for that, and I'm excited for some of the, the other cast members I know about joining. Yeah. I think there's a, a lot, lot of psychic blast fights. A lot of psychic blast. Blasts. Probably a, a Kira style oh. would be my guess, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping that this is, like, Walking Dead but the better version of it. Yes. Because Walking Dead doesn't the television... Doesn't peter out like it does. Doesn't peter out. Yeah. And, well, I think Walking Dead suffered as a show from the same thing that Walking Dead did it, 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 as a comic, which was Kirkman wanted it to be this thing that hypothetically went on forever. Yeah. yeah. Like, like he didn't even have plans to ever end it. Yeah. And then I think he maybe saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. Well, and, um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm just, like... If, remember, but they probably will not do that. But also, they, remember, they had the big creative stuff with Darabont who left. Yeah, And they, they changed showrunners. Like, I think... Mason, because of his relationship with HBO, unless Zaslav really screws things up at HBO, I think that they... I, I think he, he has a vision for the show, probably. I don't think this is gonna be axed. I don't think it's in any danger right now. Uh, huge Well, the numbers. Yeah, the numbers that we've seen is uh, says it even rivaled Game of Thrones yeah. uh, back in the heyday. Well, it's their biggest release since House of the Dragon. And I think this is the buy-in is like, Will this be the water cooler show? Yeah. Uh, can this, which is a video game adaptation, yeah. can it reach just generic masses? Well, the current I wonder about that is like that game did amazingly well sure. and has a sequel. And I'm like, so like a lot of people, but I guess this would have been the case with Game of Thrones too. Yeah. They probably know some of the beats sure, if but they, the, they're, they're sticking to but it. But like you're saying, there's 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 people who who read novels, and there's people who watch TV, and watch TV is a bigger number. Yeah. Same with video, video games, a big audience. There's yeah. Probably, there's more people who play video games than read novels. But there's more people that watch TV than, than play video games. Is that true? Still, I think I don't know. I don't I'm know about 100% the novel. Sure, oh. but uh, but it, it, it quite possibly is. I also and I hope that this is still the case. That the this is either going to be hopefully just two seasons. Yeah, the first the first season, which I think is nine episodes. Yeah, nine episodes uh, is will cover the entirety of the first game, and then the second, then the we'll second season the second will do, and it'll be over. I am so into that. I love I, the idea. I th- now, if this does a gangbusters, and they're hard like for a network to let go of things like that, yeah. But, but like, here's the thing: is like it gives you so much cred, I yeah. think. Yeah, and also like they can always do kind of the sort of the thing where it's like we could do a spinoff show, we could do an original show in yeah. the setting, we could try and find something else to do with it. Yeah. But we go ahead and let this series be done. Yeah, this story be done. Right now, uh, 
I have a new Sunday show that I watched yeah. Sunday, yeah. day of. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really excited about it. like it. 700 Club? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's weird they brought it up right at the end. <laughs> um, I uh, I watched the first four episodes, which Nick, I think I think you've seen all of it, of yes. 1883. Yep, you were finally joining the ranks of the Yellowstone I'm, universe. I'm, making, I'm going through that, <laughs> watching the Yellowstone Cinematic Universe. Uh, I'm looking forward to their end game. Yeah. Um, no, I, uh, I I started watching Taylor Sheridan and stuff because I started watching Tulsa King, which I really enjoyed. And, and I still about. need to finish. Uh, it was a good finale. Yeah. Um, and then I watched because of that. I watched Mayor of Kingstown, which I wound up really liking. Yeah. Season two of that came back and was really strong first it was episode. Really strong first episode. And uh, and so now I'm going through uh, on on advice of my friend Les, who watched 1883 and 1923, but has not watched Yellowstone. I was like, oh well, I'm going to watch the prequels first. Yeah, uh, honestly, I, the more I thought about it, uh, the more it makes a lot of sense because you basically see chronological I, I order. I didn't feel like I'm, I'm not missing anything. This, no. this, this introduces so basically this is a this is a a, a story of a group of German immigrants making their way from is it Texas? It is Texas. Yeah, they start in Fort Worth. Yes. To well, they're um, trying to they're get. Going, they're to trying to go to Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. And uh, will they or won't they right. make it? Is the the big so they, question. They hire on 1883. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so they hire on a pair of uh, like lawmen, basically lawmen who people who have made the trek before the trek. and know um, and know kind of the ins and outs. One of them is Sam Elliott. Yep. Uh, who plays a, who plays basically lost his wife in the first episode, loses his wife to uh, smallpox. Yes. And, uh, and it's basically, uh, well, he's kind of a broken his man. You say wife he's a and lawman daughter. His wife and daughter, yeah. What's that? You say he's a lawman? He's he, a lawman, but he's also, he's a yeah. former officer. Yeah. And he's like, isn't, he, isn't Sam Elliott pretty old? Like, he is very old. <laughs> he looks very old in this, but yes. he's still yeah. Sam Elliott. He's got that presence. Sure, sure. And he's got his, like, his deputy or his partner. Yeah. Uh, basically he's like a war. Buffalo soldier, yeah. I think. And uh, Really the, good character. The two of them hire on to this, this group. There's like... One man in the group speaks English yep. badly. Like then they're they're like you, they're like these people don't have guns, they don't have cows. They're all gonna you know, they don't have they don't have horses. Like they're all gonna die. Well, and, and like the, the opening, uh, or I don't think it's the opening scene, but they're like checking them all for yeah, smallpox, smallpox, and yeah. basically one of them has it. Yep, and, and they just send them off to die. Yeah, sends them off to die. Uh, um, it's so they're so they're they're gonna make this run, uh, and they uh, they wind up they need to hire some cowboys for help, and one of the people they hire. Is I'm guessing the family from Yellowstone is that where is that the family connection? Uh, well, this is the this is the first Dutton. That the first Dutton. Okay, so Dutton so is, the Duttons. And is played by uh, Tim McGraw mm-hmm. and his is, wife Faith Hill. Yep. And they are playing a husband and wife, and they have a, a teenage daughter and also a young, young son. Do they have another daughter. Or is that no, no, that, no. that's all the surviving. That's okay. Um, and uh, McGraw is like this badass ex-soldier. Who is definitely trying to get out of that and like be the the farmer family man? They're trying to get to land uh, so they can kind of create a yeah. home. So he agrees to go with them, but there's definitely some tension between them. And uh, and then basically, it's how this family and the and this these immigrants and their their like wagon boss are making their way across this sort of lawless land. Uh, it's really good so it's far. Oregon Trail, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that, that. That sounds kind of interesting. Uh, out of curiosity, how many shows are in this cinematic universe? Three. 
1889, Yellowstone, and... 1883, 1923, and Yellowstone. Okay. And they try... Uh, out of curiosity, like, is there one that's an obvious best one to watch first? Well, Yellowstone... Well, I'm watching 1883 first. Yellowstone was the first. It is Cowboy Mafia, essentially, right? I mean, Pretty they're basically, they're, they're a ranching family, and there's, like... They uh, sort everyone's of, sort of out to get their land, yeah. and they will go to extreme lengths uh, to have that not happen. And Kevin Costner's the lead, and it was sort of notable for his big TV presence. Yeah. But then 1883 is the first prequel. 1923, they just did it. Did they just finish it? No, it's on its mid-season. I, I think it's going to be eight episodes, and they've gone through four. And it's got Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren as, as, the, the, as the lead couple. Mm. Uh, I always, almost wonder, Nick, if there's 1883 and 1923, if they'll do another one that's like 1973 that would be I like I bet the, they will. Yeah, so uh, to do more of the Duttons. But yeah, this is, uh, this is a really good sort of like... Well, an it's it's an interesting take on a western. Like and it's it is narrated a western. by the, the the daughter. The daughter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she's she's great. Uh, just yeah. in all of it. She's she's a really good character. Uh, there's a burgeoning romance between her and one of the cowboys, which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting. But honestly, Tim McGraw and Sam Elliott are just killing it here. Both of them are great as sort of these complicated. Don't discount Faith Hill. She's really no, good. Not Faith Hill. Wait, Faith Hill. Yes. Yeah. Her. Yeah. No, but she's got smaller. In the first four episodes, she doesn't have much to do. Yeah, that's true. Um. But but McGraw and, and Ellie are both playing the sort of macho cowboys, but they've given them each a little more depth. Yeah, um, and Which they is get what Sheridan and does. I, especially McGraw's character treating his daughter like his wife. At some point, is like I'm trying to raise a lady. He's like he's like there's plenty of ladies, there's not a good men, and so he's basically letting his daughter be a tomboy in this era and like teaching her to be a cowboy yeah. and to sort of like help ride herd and that kind of thing. And it's interesting uh, because she does not want to be the lady. Nope, uh, and it's. It's really, really good. It's just really well done. Um, protection value. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. There, I mean, like all the Yellowstone shows, you get the vistas. You get sort of the feel of it's, this. How, it's beautiful. Um, how harsh is it? Swearing? Very harsh. Violence? Yes. Swearing, oh, violence, yeah. sex. Yes, all that. Okay. So, pretty uh, adult. Children get killed. Yep. Out of curiosity, do you, do, you, do you get the impression, though, that because of the sort of the... This has sounds like fairly broad appeal based on the success I've been hearing. Oh, for sure. Do, do families watch this show? Well, no. I my, I asked my parents I mean, about like it. Families like, watch Walking Dead. So. I asked my parent my parents about it because it seemed like it might be up there, alley, and they found it too violent for them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And my dad's a Tarantino fan. Yeah, <laughs> but like it is it is pretty raw and real. Yeah, yeah. it is there. There definitely it's an unvarnished look at the American West. But yeah, it's uh it's it's really good. I would I would recommend it. It's. Eight episodes? Yeah, eight episodes. And it's, it's something about it, I don't know what it is, something about it they think they're unlikely to do a sequel. Yeah. Uh, so I assume that means they all turn into cyborgs and fly off into space <laughs> in the end. With their psychic see, powers. I want to see a varnished look at the American <laughs> <Varnished>. West. <laughs> uh, I think that's Blazing Saddles, Dave. <laughs> that's the varnished look. All right. Uh, we should kick Dave out so we can talk... No, we should kick Nick out so we can talk about M3 again. Yes. A.K.A. Megan. <laughs> So Nick has not been to theater to see this yet, but you and I both have seen uh, Megan. Yes, aka M. Thregan. Yep, a movie, a, a horror movie that is kind of a little bit of a pop horror movie that is quite approachable and I, I believe done very well. Agreed. Uh, in theaters, yeah. so uh, so so um, it's 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 doing good already. Yeah. So we're gonna offer up spoiler version. So if you've not seen it, I recommend. I, I recommend seeing seeing it. I I really like this. My my uh, pitch for people. Uh, which is not useful because most people haven't seen this movie, is if you liked Upload, this feels very uploady to me. Interesting. Uh, and also, it's a Upgrade, it's a rethink... Oh, right, right. Upgrade. Which was which was a sci-fi sort of near-future movie written by the guy who did Insidious Lee and Winnell. stuff. Lee Winnell. Lee Winnell. 
Um, and, and the other way is, and, and you can pick this up right from the commercial, is it's a it's a rethink of the Chucky genre. Yeah, it it's an evil element. doll, but it, it, is a, it is actually based in sort of sci-fi concepts, or, well, more of a sci-fi concept, even though it's the present. She's not a possessed voodoo doll. It's, it's an AI doll with issues. Yep. That's, um, yes. <laughs> um, that's, uh, we're, that's we're, the tagline. Yes. Megan, an AI doll with issues. So um, we're, we're not going into spoiler mode. Yes. Um, I wasn't going to see this. It's the writer of Malignant, which I found to be too wild. I did not like Malignant so much. Right. Although I think that, that as, as we, we look back on Malignant, although uh, I've, I've never really read the full story on it, I believe it was like... I believe it was what it was intended to be. Yes. But what it was intended to be was something that most of us don't have too much experience with, except for dedicated horror rights. Yeah. And not even not even I had crossed into this uh, because I believe it was sort of spoofing slash homaging the Italian giallo, the their gore movies like yes. the, like Suspiria, but the many other movies that are not Suspiria. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think we'll find that it's 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 meant to be the, an idiosyncratic thing, and it'll be kind of hard to say that like okay, the writer of this is like maybe a writer to not follow yeah. because it's such a weirdly singular thing. Right. Well, because I, so I wasn't sure I was going to see this. It's James Wan produced all that, yep. but after after seeing the trailer, I'm like, oh, this looks goofy. I'm not going to see it. And then the reviews started to come in, and they were universally positive. Yeah, yeah. It had that thing where like in the opening weekend, they're like. It's sitting at a hundred percent. How? How <laughs> yeah. is this? Yeah. Even from the trailers, like I was laughing at the trailers because yeah. I could tell this was going to be kind of a dark comedy. Yeah, you could you could just tell from the trailers, yeah. and there's some funny stuff in it, and um, and then I was like, oh, apparently it's like a little cleverer than that too. There's yeah. maybe a little bit of re- realness to it. And like it is not like amazing or anything like that. No, it's like one hundred put to do some and, and it's you know dropped down. I'm sure ninety something now. Yeah. Uh, like you don't want to over expect uh, to, from this, but like it is a fun movie. Yeah. Um, and, and and Megan is a great new horror villain. That's absolutely true. Lots of lots of attitude and yes. uh, I'm going to say uh, what would you call it? Almost like a, a passive aggressive murderousness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to her. So, so <clears throat> the, the basic premise is that a uh, a little girl's parents die. Yep, and she's like I don't know eight or something yeah, like that. Yeah, ballpark. And um, she is taking it, taken in by what her aunt? Her aunt, who is a uh, a single kind of uh, driven career woman. Career woman. She's a she's a roboticist and kind of a genius. Right. She helped build these little AI toys. They're very much like like Furbies. <clears throat> yeah. They're the opening. Thing of the movie is like a fake commercial for him. It it's is really good, amazing. It's... <laughs> it look, it feels like a real product. Yes, um, and hysterically, it's like I think the kids are like, you know, Sparky, my my dog died. They're like, but so and so won't. Yep. You like fur pets? You yep. know, yep. like <laughs> it's it is that that kind of satire. So she's under a lot of pressure to create the new cheaper version of these fur pets. Right, and, uh, and, but also to like have like some kind of breakthrough that the other the other guys don't have, and and so she's been working on this this AI doll, but uh, on her own time, and they basically spend corporate money they shouldn't have, and it doesn't work. The, the prototype explodes, right, and it all seems like well, uh, I she's like uh, her boss played by Ronnie Chang, who's always great. He is fantastic. <laughs> is is like just get me my cheaper Furbies. Yes, and instead. She has to take some time off to deal with her her grieving uh, niece. Right, she is given like custodianship or whatever guardianship. But the, the the cat. This is Allison Williams. Is the mm-hmm. uh, I think is the, the the lead, and she's from Get Out. 
Oh, right, right. She was the girlfriend in Get Out. And she's great here. She is. Um, and she she is a person who really doesn't have the kind of wherewithal to take care of a kid in her no. life. Uh. Uh, you can tell she's things are awkward with her and, and the girl early on. But things seem to maybe come together when she realizes that the prototype she's working on of the doll Megan, yep, uh, a, a, a AI doll driven doll that like like sort of a little Chucky thing, but that learns and adapts. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like this could basically not only distract her but give me the essentially the quick field testing I need yep. to get this done like in the next two weeks before I like get fired over not having brought results right and. Um, uh, it turns out maybe all the safety protocols weren't in place on Megan, and it starts learning. And she, and the the aunt says something like, "Megan, uh, what I need you to do is protect so and so." I forget the girl's name. Um, I don't remember either. Let's call her Mary. She says like protect Mary from just from any psychological or physical harm. Yep. Now that's a very broad thing to yes. say to a doll that will do anything. Yep. And um, things start getting weird. They escalate fast. People have been disappearing. <laughs> um, the mean, the barking nearby do- neighborhood dog has stopped barking. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and yes, things get uh, disturbing pretty quickly. Um, what, what, what happens throughout is uh, it's funny. Yep. Uh, it is, uh, Megan is a very watchable character. Yep. Um, I think good performances from everybody, but there's like there's things. So the things I didn't expect is that there's some good workplace satire in this. There is specifically of like I think the tech industry, yeah, and some also some very funny stuff. I think about the difficulties of parenting. To be yeah. honest, yeah, the thing where uh, uh, her aunt is explaining. Uh, or like it's part of like the pitch yeah. uh, is that oh all those questions that parents hear a hundred times a day from the kids tell them the same thing over and over that Megan essentially takes that burden off their back and she doesn't care if they ask it a hundred times right. and, and so you see this little montage of Megan doing these sort of taking over some parental roles and doing that and it's super funny yeah. and I, I imagine very relatable for a lot of parents <laughs> out there uh, I also think that when she goes on her rampage it's kind of hilarious because basically I, I thought when we saw it in the trailer yeah. and she's doing like the dance and stuff yeah. it seemed like she was basically just kind of imitating it like she didn't maybe understand right but no she's fully in, in control of herself like she knows what she's doing is weird yes. and she's doing it on purpose yeah uh, there's a there's a kind of it, 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 she achieves that thing that you want in sort of the horror villains that are like become icons yeah which is to say you kind of want her to rampage yeah uh, it's not like it's like yes it's scary yes you hope they read the main characters get off get yeah. away okay yep. but you're like well if a few people die it might be okay yeah well and then like when, when she kills the boss and she basically like uh uh, frames the other guy for it. Oh, like, yeah. I was thinking at that point that she didn't care. She was the murder doll. She's going to murder anything. No, she's still thinking about how she'll get out of it. Yeah, she's very smart. And um, uh, th- there's a great, uh, not post-credits, but the, the last tail end of like, oh, you guys are definitely going to do Men 3 again too. Yes, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Uh, I think one of my favorite scenes in it was the uh, just funny scenes uh, when she, uh, there, there's like a sort of a, 
outdoor learning, uh, outdoor class thing yes. that's going on with this slightly hippy dippy crunchy uh, mom who's letting the kid run rampant over other people. Right, this, and, this and, kid, oh, this big kid who's older than everybody yeah. else. But the scene I'm thinking of is actually just when the aunt arrives with yes. the daughter, and she and and this aunt is like, oh, it looks like we've got two <laughs> more, two new learner, like a new learner yeah. to the environment, and she kind of looks in the back and she's like, oh, it looks like there's there's two two people back there. Who else is that? And she's like, and she's like, actually, that's a doll. And she kind of looks a little closer and sees the that uncanny valley. And, and, and then she Megan just goes, like turns and looks at her. And she's like, oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that was the most honest reaction yeah. in the whole movie. Yeah. It was just like her utter just terror for a split second. Yeah. At it. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, was this was a really good version of this. I I was very pleased with it. It's also visually fun because Megan is meant to clearly embody the uncanny valley. Yeah. Which if you don't know what that is, look it up. But it's that weird thing in CG movies and stuff, especially where they were like things look kind of human but not human enough to uh, be like warm and inviting. There's something off putting. Yeah. Well, the the bit where she's chasing uh, the the kid on all fours. Right. Right. So yeah, there's like a like the girl gets bullied by a dude, and 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 Megan of and he's like being like throwing the Megan doll around and stuff yep. like that. And then she, like, at some point, she gets it, goes into, like, hunter mode. Yeah. And she, like, gets down on all fours and is chasing him, and it's like a dog is yep. chasing him. And it's creepy. Well, it's like one of those cyber dogs. They're definitely referencing it because they yeah. show, when they're building her, before they put the skin on her, they show the guy knocking her around with a pole. Like yes. that famous video you've seen, like, the, the yeah, robot Yeah, where they dogs. do the stress test where yeah. they, like, hit robots with... And dogs and stuff like yep. robot dogs with a like a sledgehammer. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is gonna yeah, this come is back gonna come to back to us. Yeah, Oof. yeah. There's there's a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of lot of. I think that's what makes it work. There's like you say, there's parenting stuff. There's uh, AI stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and they definitely are like touching on a bunch of different things. Yeah, and it's just a kind of pretty good crowd pleaser movie. I thought it had a few lulls here and there, um, and that. I actually wish it had been a little more R-rated. It's a PG-13 movie. Oh, is it? Yep. Huh. And I understand that there is a cut uh, that might... That pr- it probably will be released just based on the success. Why not s- sell more stuff? There's an R-rated cut that, that is like more violent and maybe has more kills and stuff. That's interesting because I was, I was going to say that's one of the things when the, when the, that, was, that surprised me based on the trailer... I thought that once the rampage started, that was going to be like the big thing. Yeah. But no, there's really... She like kills two people. Right, and then it's over. Like she's on yeah. the looking after the looking after the girl. I, you know, I am not a slasher movie guy. Like, yeah. so I wasn't looking for like a complete, you know, like a high kill count. Yeah. But like, I wouldn't have minded if if it was like a little edgier and a little more gruesome. Um, and I, I, I kind of have to see what they how they did it, how they filmed it. Yeah, I have a feeling they probably did a pretty good job of it. Yeah. Um. So I'll be interested to see the director's cut when it comes out, or the gore cut, or whatever they end up calling it. The all gore cut. Um. But yeah, like for for sure, uh, a friend of mine who posted about it said this actually does live up to the you know what you would hope for from PG thirteen movie, which is you could show it to some teenagers fairly safely. Yeah. And yet it's still going to be creepy and fun, and they're going to have a good time. And but an adult who sees it isn't going to be like, oh, this is just kitty shit. Yeah. Uh, like it's it's really a pretty fun movie. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's recommended. And honestly, even if you're not a big horror person, the scares are not so intense that it's going to like leave you unable to sleep at night. Yeah. The doll thing is different enough from like reality that I don't think people are going to be worried that Megan is in their bathroom. I agree, and I think that that's why I do the comparison to Upgrade because it is it's it's a suspense movie. It's got horror elements, but it's not it's not a horror movie, I would say. People and by the way, people go seek out Upgrade. 
Yeah, uh, you check, should check that one out. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool little 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 hidden gem of a sort of cyberpunk suspense uh, movie. Does it have action elements? Would you call it an action it's movie? It's got some a little action bit? elements. Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, what is it? Guy dies, gets revived. Doesn't or die. Something. He's in a car crash. He gets an implant that lets him walk again. Oh right, but it's and like it, an AI implant. Right, and it can like do some pretty cool stuff. It makes him fight people. Makes him be able to fight people. So there's there's just there's a little bit of that. I know kung fu, except it's more like you're turning yourself over to the AI, which you yeah. can see how that opens up different questions. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, check out check out upgrade as well. All right, uh, that brings to a close for this week. We'll be back next week with more. Until that time, yo, Joe. Roguecast is a weekly podcast broadcast from Rogue's Gallery Comics and Games in Round Rock, Texas. You can find us online on Facebook and at www.roguesgallerytx.com and email us comments or questions at roguesgallerytx at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.